Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk with someone who's taken the reins of their industry horse and steered off the lame, tired path to venture into unexplored opportunities that have kicked the dust up on the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting for over two decades. He has 24 years of combined experience in the Navy and the Army. He's also the co-founder of Teed Up for the Troops. And we're talking to him today due to his experience that led to his dedication in assisting military members and their families strive for a better outcome. Coming to us live from Huntington Beach, California, please welcome our disruptor, chairman of Vindaball Corporation, Nick Siphon, alias, AKA the Stabilizer. <laughs> Thank you so much, KJ. You are such a stabilizer. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. So Nick, I want you to tell me before we like get into what is this disruption and how you've innovated it, I want you to tell me what is your key ingredient for disruption? Well, I think charity and uh, goodwill always plays a, a big motivator into the disruption of uh, the, the status quo of a day-to-day -day operation, just because uh, we don't see much of it, unfortunately, these days. So uh, when everybody uh, thinks that, uh, oh, I can't do this, or uh, I need this to be able to complete it, you just come in and, uh, you know, just doing good and working with people and being very neutral helps disrupt the, the status quo. That's so interesting because I've actually, I've never heard this one before. So you're saying charity and goodwill. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you really think about it these days, if you're really nice to people and you find somebody that is in need, not necessarily for money or for food or clothing, but sometimes some guidance, some help, uh, a little push, uh, showing them if they do a certain thing, they, how they could improve their life. That's the charity I'm talking about. It's talking about communications and helping people uh, live a better life, giving them the opportunity to live a better life. And it doesn't have to be money. Uh, you know, I, I know that we're, we're trying to help other people with money and, and with housing and with food and clothing, but there's always, always that little counseling uh, that goes a long way. So your disruption ingredient is giving people the opportunity to live a better life. Absolutely. Okay. That is the number one soundbite. So you're in the development industry, construction yes. development. Vindaval is. You have a very, very particular purpose. And we're going to get into this disruption. But I want you to paint the picture for me of the status quo of this industry? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people have been talking for years. Um, I have actually a plan that was uh, uh, designed and written 
over 20, 25 years ago. And it, and it talks about homelessness, how they're going to end homelessness. It was supposed to go into effect over 20 years ago. Who's they? So, uh, without pointing any fingers, but okay. it's in my area. It's in Orange County, California. Okay. And until today, it's the same subject, the same subject line. And if you could tell me that Orange County has no homeless people, I would tell you that the design and the status quo and the planning worked, but it didn't. So obviously there's a disconnect. Obviously somebody's not doing anything. They're just doing the same thing over and over. I could assure you that somebody behind their computer is sitting down writing another plan. And we don't need plans anymore. We need to act. So by acting, by doing something, by building something and having this project or, or uh, you know, whatever you build, uh, give back and truly start to give guidance on how to end homelessness, how to help people live a better life, then that's when it starts to work. So you're talking about like really getting down to brass tacks here, not just talking about doing good. So tell me what the homeless, homelessness is like in Orange County? Well, it's kind of sad, uh, you know, driving down the street, uh, especially in Huntington Beach. I mean, the other day, just two people on the side of the street, it, there was no bus stop. There was no park. There was nothing. It was just a, a, a wall surrounding housing. And this gentleman was just sleeping there with a bunch of stuff, uh, a cart and, and a lot of uh, items that he had with him. And I, I couldn't have driven 200 yards from there and a police car was there with some utility vehicles from the city removing another person just down the street, not even a couple of blocks away. Same situation. They're just sleeping there. They're not trying to hide out of our sight anymore. They're in plain sight. You can't miss them. Uh, and these, this is just a small example. There's other places uh, uh, throughout the whole county and in the state and, and the U.S. that People are just bringing tents uh, just for a little comfort. Um, now, I understand a lot of people say, well, some of these people are having some mental issues and some medical issues or, or whatever the case may be. But I am truly facing meeting these people face to face, facing them, asking them, you know, why are you here? What brought you here? And it's pretty much I can't get a job. Uh, I can't afford a place. I'm not really sure where to go. What kind of help can I get? And when I tell them that, you know, let's go talk to the local church, see if we can get some new clothes, maybe a, an opportunity to go on the weekend to an armory, uh, a National Guard armory, if it's open, ask them if you can go in and use their shower, take a shower. I mean, these little small things make a big difference. Then maybe finding a little shelter around temporary until we could find the, the reason he can't find a job. I mean, these are the things that you have to research. Uh, you can't just shut your door and say and give it an excuse that they're either on uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, a narcotic or, or drinking or, you know, or have a mental issue. Some of them are real people. Some of them are children. Some of them live in cars that don't work. So are, are a large percent of them, a percentage of them in your area veterans? I would say in the county, I'm not really sure, I haven't really counted, but in the county, uh, according to some of the documentation that occurred a couple of years ago with uh, city council from Santa Ana, there was over 2000 uh, veterans uh, that are homeless. Uh, 
large number of them are a little older. Some of them are Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, but the younger uh, soldiers or airmen or sailors or Marines are starting to show up just lately. And wow. some of them are from Desert Shield, Desert Storm era, uh, early 90s. And it's kind of surprising because these are my brothers and sisters. These are the people that I actually uh, worked with. So it hurts me. It pains me to see this happening. Um, some of the veterans that I work with, some of the wonderful organizations that are also trying to help. There's a huge amount of nonprofits around the county that are trying to help. But it's just you could put all of us into one area and, and we still will be behind. We need a lot of help. So, yeah, I was going to ask you that because there are a lot of nonprofits that are trying to help, but you say we could put them all together and collectively you'd still be behind. And you, you've said that there's been groups or whatever that, that have had maybe abilities to do this, but it's just the status quo has been not doing this. And you're talking about in the sense of providing housing, yes. right? Um, and probably other things that are going to help them like get a job and so forth. So so what have you done in the development space? What is Vindaval all about? How are you actually solving this? Well, I always talk to people that are already a little bit ahead of me that have already built or are building or maybe have already facilities or they know where to house veterans. Uh, we were lucky uh, about a month or two ago to find an organization in Los Angeles that had three empty spots for veterans. I immediately contacted a nonprofit organization that works with veterans. They had uh, qualified veterans, part of their organization, trying to help them out. Uh, the organization is called Veteran Legal Institute. Uh, they're here locally in Orange County, and I know the founder very well. She immediately put me in contact with her uh, housing person in her uh, office, and he immediately, I put them together, the company that was offering the housing, and, and they were able to, uh, to assist. So this is just a communication, knowing where to look for you know, housing them. Uh, what I'm also doing is developing a larger property to build more. Unfortunately, with my project comes the high density that scares everybody. Yes, uh, but I want to assure everybody that high density uh, doesn't hurt anybody. When you have a high density uh, project coming up, uh, because my project has a lot of different uh, avenues of approach, if you want to talk about lessening the traffic by maybe assisting the residents with transportation back and forth to their jobs, to the hospitals, to counseling centers, opening up a center for the residents and for the community to come to having more buses, bicycle lanes, uh, lessening the, uh, the greenhouse gases, uh, all of that comes together into having a wonderful project that works for everybody. So that's pretty much what I'm trying to do, just a small little explanation, but it's a lot more, but you know. Yeah, so tell us a lot more so, so that we really understand how you have started to really innovate this particular point of housing, right? So sure. it's a, so it's a, a high density housing in particular communities. Um, and who is the housing for? All right. So, uh, you know, over 10 years ago, uh, I helped uh, uh, co-found uh, an organization to raise money for wounded sa sailors, airmen, soldiers, and Marines uh, 
coming back from the war, amputees. And for 10 years, we were very, very successful, raising millions of dollars, giving it to organizations like Fisher House, uh, the Wounded Warrior Project, the Marine House in San Diego. So there's a lot of organizations that get actually money from us. We have no employees, we're all uh, volunteers. And the national chap, the national organization that has the 503 gets 3% from us, 97% of it goes directly to the veterans. Hmm. So after 10 years, it kind of gets a little difficult to keep asking for money. So fundraising is nice, but it doesn't always work. Uh, so I thought, oh my God, how about if I do something, I earn money in a for-profit organization and put this money back into the services that we already raise money for. And that's how the idea began a few years ago. And I started to evolve it. And I found out that the biggest, I guess, broken link of this nice chain that we've built is the housing element. But for the housing element to work, it has to be dense because we charge a lot less rent and it has to make sense how to build it. We can't raise millions of dollars all in a short time and build a project from donations just doesn't work. There has to be investments. There have to be there has to be some sort of a, a benefit to the people that are putting money into a project for them to benefit and for you to benefit from building it. Then we start to look about you know having started out with the goodwill for uh, soldiers, airmen, sailors, and Marines, you know veterans. I start thinking, well, you know our youth in the community are growing up and they're the ones that are gonna be replacing us. And, and maybe a lot of them would join the military, but I don't want them to get to that point where they are homeless. I want them to have the capability to properly plan their entry into the market, being in the military or not in the military. So we could teach them how to be successful, live a better life, have a better opportunity. So they do not fail later on. So to properly graduate high school, to get to college, if not college, maybe vocational training. If they don't wanna finish high school, we could get them GED training and exams and certifications. So it's all kind of like a big bubble that has everything in it. And little by little, I start to notice also that the aging veterans are having difficulty with housing. Uh, but it wasn't because of their military career or being homeless or anything like that. It's just the affordability. Right. right. I mean, it's just so expensive for them to move. And so little by little, the programs uh, just got larger. And I just found out that, you know what, it is uh, the, uh, the whole goodwill to just people, veterans, youth, adult, single parents, the boys and girls clubs for their kids that, you know, they need to go to work and they're willing to work and they're capable to work but they cannot because they have to take care of young kids. So we found after-school activities, YMCA, for example, the Boys and Girls Club to take care of them so they could go to work. And so little by little, we, we start building on it. And uh, believe me, I have hundreds of nonprofits that are willing to come and work and help and uh, uh, donate uh, their time or money to, to purchase items uh, like electric vehicles and to be able to have a transportation department for the project. So, so in essence, you're building a community yes. that is high density for people that are underserved, that are have like veterans or 
um, you know, others that are having difficulty with just the basic fundamental rudiments of life. Yes. Housing, how to get a job. Yes. Um, youth programs to help um, kids know how to like enter the job market, the military, how to transition out of the military, um, transportation. So it, it, are, it's like you're building a city. Well, yes, a city has to function that, that way. If a city doesn't function like that way and you have people that are homeless that are sitting in the city, you have to tell yourself that the city is not doing their job. You know, it could start from the politicians to the city managers to the uh, planning uh, commission to to anybody, the school district. You know, having a successful path for these children is so important. We work with local colleges. We'll work with the universities and also we'll work with companies that are maybe able and capable on hiring some people. They just will work with the local EDD for unemployment. We'll get people out of unemployment. We'll work very closely with the local market to make sure that we get people back to work, back to living a, uh, a normal and wonderful life. So it sounds too good to be true. I'm going to tell you that. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, but you are working on these developments. Um, so who, who are the early adopters of this? Like, I understand you say it, it hasn't been done before, right? And maybe the status quo has been such that it's been so disparate or, you know, somebody has one solution, but another person has another solution, but they're not all interrelated and interconnected. So what you're no. doing is you're taking and building a development that interconnects all of these particular services to be, what is it like a, a holistic community? Absolutely. I mean, well, you know, uh, it, it's fascinating. You know, my 24 years in the service taught me a lot. And one thing that it taught me is communications. And it's not one unit communicating with each other. We're all, let's say, in the Army, uh, know how to talk to each other. and We know how to work together. But then when you have two different branches of the service working together, the Navy and the Army, well, the the Marines are the ones that get transported by the Navy to go somewhere. But what if we had an, a, a Navy unit that's helping an Army unit? How do we communicate? How do we become a cohesive unit? And that's what the military did a long time ago is that they have some joint trainings to make, make sure that all branches of service work together for a common good. And so now this, this whole city or community or, or project, whatever you want to call it, has to work together. So this is something that's already being done. My project, I didn't reinvent the wheel. What I did is I managed to put it all together. And that's pretty much what it is. I mean, right now you could, you, you could take a bus and go somewhere. You could go somewhere and find a job. There's counselors and colleges for you to get a, you know, uh, an education. Um, you can get insurance. You can get an apartment. All of this stuff. You can go to nonprofits and help you get food or some toiletiers if you need it, or uh, or shelter, counseling. Uh, the but VA for the hospital. person that needs all of this, 
there's nothing that helps them to connect the dots on all of these That's services. Correct. And well, so they end up just being overwhelmed by life. Yes. Okay, great. I got housing, but how am I going to get a job and pay for it? Oh, okay, That's great. Correct. I got a house. I mean, I got a job, but how, where am I going to, where am I going to live so I can make it to my job every day? Like, and afford it. Yeah. So yes, most of the stuff is all out there, but the common person that just doesn't have the capabilities to do the research or to drive around and ask and ask and ask and get the right person. So when you filter it all together, it works very well. So you've actually taken this military communications uh, structure foundation and you're putting it into the private sector, into development, and your catalyst has been really giving people the opportunity to live a better life. Absolutely. The best, the best lessons I've ever had is a 24 year discipline plan. I mean, everybody talks about if you fail to plan, you know, plan to fail, right? Everybody says it. It's so, you know, planning is is a big part of our lives. If we can get to the youth before they get to where they need to get and not get to the point of failure, we've succeeded. If we can help somebody that's already had an unfortunate incident and they are failing, pick them back up and bring them back to the right track. You know, all of this stuff has to work. We have to take care of our elders because they took care of us. One of these days, it's who we become. So it's a circle. You know, if you don't do it properly and the circle breaks, it just won't, won't work anymore. So you have to do that. I think uh, we talk about all of this, but you know, this is really putting it into live action, right? Well, like, how did you get to this point? Like, when did you say that's it? I've got to do something about this. What was it that for you? Yeah, I retired and uh, quite honestly, uh, living, uh, you know, day to day is okay for me. I mean, you know, no big deal. But uh, I have a lot of friends that were not as fortunate as I and some of them I served with, some of them I knew and I met, and some of them are not with us any longer. So, you know, it's a tough way to, uh, to, to live. And I've, I've had some days that uh, were not wonderful. And so little by little, as I joined these groups at the VA hospital, and we've had our share of uh, counseling and meetings and uh, just networking uh, for our well-being, it became very clear to me that a lot of people are facing the same challenges as I. Uh, When I got injured and I went through uh, my process to get my uh, disabilities, I'm 100% service-connected disabled. So I uh, was trying to get it in it. When I first applied- What does that mean, 100% service-connected disabled? That means I was injured while I was in the service. And when I get out, uh, my injuries are evaluated by the VA. I'm still employable. I could get a job, but uh, the service-connected uh, injuries are uh, with me with for life. Got uh, it. These are injuries that I cannot recover from 100%. So there's a system that the VA uses for veterans to get their percentage of uh, disability, connected disability. It has to be in the service. Uh, so yeah, I've, I, I faced some challenges when I applied for some of my benefits. It took good five to six years to receive it. So 
before I received it, uh, I had some huge challenges. And I it's thought, a long oh my time, God, Nick, it five is. to six years. Yes, it is. Uh, and a lot of people are still facing it today. I have people calling me all the time. We're trying to help them out all the time. Especially so, when you're under distress. Absolutely. Five to six years is a long time. But when you're under distress, that it, it it's um it's a lifetime. Yeah. When you get out of the military, it's very hard to get back into the civilian world. Uh, you know, you wake up at a certain time, you exercise a certain time and, and a certain amount, you eat three times a day, it's on a timely manner. Uh, that discipline goes away the day you leave. But also the biggest thing that goes with that is the camaraderie. You have no more friends that are there every single moment in your life. Uh, that is, I think, the, the, the largest uh, issue we have is the they don't know how to make friends in the community, especially if people haven't faced the same challenges and same day-to-day uh, -day operation as these other uh, veterans coming out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's so many different elements that brought this to, uh, to flourishing. I mean, I want to say that one idea after another and how to get everything working together, but the element of housing is the biggest uh at the VA, they have people just sleeping all over and, and you know, uh, sometimes on the property, sometimes off the property in the surrounding areas. So I see them and I talk to them all the time. It has a lot to do with affordability. We want to build something. I'm a licensed contractor in the state of California. We do construction. We know what it costs to construct. Um, we're going to do it. We're going to do it for less. We're going to charge less. Uh, and we're going to make it work. And we want this to be an example. And if anybody else is interested in other areas to copy us and to do it, we'll be more than happy to help and to make sure that this project grows nationwide. Wow. So you, so this evolved from your own struggles Absolutely. and then seeing your brothers and sisters struggling and you know, housing, I guess you looked at it from a viewpoint of like, this is the one of the biggest issues. Yes. And so as you became a contractor and developer and so forth, this is how you wanted to give back. Am I right about that story? Absolutely. I have the capability to build it, but how to survive is to also have a mixed use high density. So you have retail shops. It also allows you to employ most of the people uh, that are local or residents of your community. Wow. So it's it's a way to be self-sufficient, to run the project, to manage it, to earn the money, to put it back in it, into it. And because the services, they have a cost and we are tired for of fundraising. We don't want donations. We want to earn it. Everybody that is there getting the service will work. They will, they will get jobs. They will work. What a novel idea. So you're making people contributing members of society. They're exchanging for the services that they're getting by doing something that gives them morale and respect, self-respect they're, they're earning, right? Absolutely. And we so want to make sure we want to make sure that even low income earners have the affordability, have a place they could afford. Wow. Wow. What an incredible way to like help people gain their dignity and self-respect back. I, I don't know anyone that doesn't 
want to be able to contribute something and have a purpose in life. Yes. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited of what we're going to be bringing in. And we're not going to wait till the buildings are up. As soon as I get the, uh, the approval uh, to start construction, we are going to make available the facilities that start the programs immediately. So anybody in the community that wants to see what our services are could start immediately. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. So who are the early adopters of this? Who have who has really seen your vision? What are those people like? Who are they? Well, we have some of the cities uh, in Orange County and the Inland Empire uh, and, and Los Angeles uh, starting to talk to us. We have a huge amount of experts that are starting to come on board. We're putting together a huge team uh, to be able to uh, mobilize more cities into uh, seeing the light. And so uh, there's seven adjacent cities that are now open to our idea and inviting us. So we're in the process of uh, looking for other properties to expand. So your early adopters have been cities and municipalities uh, yes. in your particular area. What makes them early adopters? Uh, some cities don't even have one single affordable unit to, to rent. They're behind. Uh, most of and their they're feeling the pain of the homelessness there. Yes. And some of their residents that have houses or apartments are driving to other cities to work because also there's not a whole lot of jobs there. Uh, we're, we're trying to find the cities that really need our help and the residents that live there that need our help. So you've got some early adopters. So these are guys that really understand the innovation. Yes. Um, and you said you're putting together a big team of um, experts. Who are those experts? Like, are they architects? Are they like? Yes. So we have already contacted uh, several construction companies to be able to make sure that we team up with other construction companies, not just mine, uh, for the uh, reason of uh, this might turn into a few projects that are uh, in parallel working almost at the same speed, if not one faster than the other. Yeah. So we, we need more than one company to do it. And so we're already getting the experts. Uh, we're working uh, very closely with engineers and architects and uh, suppliers, vendors. We're trying to get estimators onto the ground to estimate some of the uh, uh, supplies and materials that now prices you know, went up dramatically in the last few months. Uh, now it seems like it's getting a little bit better, which makes construction much harder, which in turn, you must charge more money for the renters. So we want to make sure we get the best deals in town. But at the same time, we're also reaching out to experts on uh, structuring such a project uh, in other cities. So these uh, experts tell us exactly where we can go, maybe to get the investors interested, uh, to show the investors the benefit of building projects like this, uh, opportunity zones, uh, disadvantaged uh, economic zones, uh, you know, just a various amount of people that we're meeting with. Uh, I also meet with uh, people that have the capability for uh, services, uh, transportation services, all electrical vehicles uh, from 
you know, the purchase all the way to servicing the community for free. Oh, this is one big thing I forgot to tell you is that anybody <laughs> what, that walks, what, what could it be? <laughs> anybody that walks into our door asking for assistance has no cost. It's free. So just want to make sure that we, we let everybody know about that. So they have no cost to it. It's free. Um, but at some point you put them to work. Is that right? Is that what you're telling me? They go to work. We, if they come in and they want a job, uh, we'll be able to find them a job and it doesn't cost them anything for us to help them with their recruiting because we're, we're going to make a lot of deals with all the local large companies and uh, we're going to find jobs and we're going to make the local companies start hiring local people. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So you're a disruptor. Um, I can probably think of a, a million things of what, what, why people would say this wouldn't work, right? But you're obviously... Um, you have early adopters that are really coming on board. What, what is the biggest thing they say? Well, a, a lot of people think, yeah, okay, you know, when you build it, come and talk to me. You know, we haven't had one done yet. So uh, this moment, I mean, uh, we're a little bit ahead of, uh, of where we were. Uh, we actually own uh, our first property. It's fairly large, 14 acres. Um it's going to have just about anything the community wants in it. What are the, and what do the construction companies say that are coming on board? Like, are they like, wow, we've always wanted to do this. What are the engineers and architects saying? Yeah. Some of them have the experience in other States working with low income or affordable housing. Uh, there's a lot of government affordable housing units that came up and, but they said they've never seen one with services. That's the key is the, to have the services in the project and it's continuously working. Yeah. It's its you own know? ecosystem. It seems like. Yes. Who, who, sorry, so we know who the early adopters are, right. And they see the vision because they've actually, they're in the, they're in the situation. They've seen the status quo. They see what yes. the biggest point that's lacking. You're bringing that in. You're bringing in this communication network that's very militarized that, you know, has worked for decades. Right. And very friendly and very friendly. Right. But, you know, there's structure to it. There's there's something yes. to be said for things that are very structured. Right. Um, who where are you having a tougher time with adoption because of false data, fixed ideas like yes. people don't want to change where? Well, you know, I. There's a lot of people wherever you go in life that are going to tell you, well, I don't want it here because of the, the stigma, because of the thought of what what this. How it works somewhere else, if if you build affordable housing, that means you're bringing people that are uh, addicted uh, to narcotics or they have mental issues. Oh, my God, I just bought this house. It's very expensive. I don't want somebody over here messing it up. We're letting them know that these people that are saying no to this. And of course, you know, the city that depends on these people's votes are kind of swayed. And I don't, I don't want to put any uh, like a negative spin on this. We just have to make sure that when we're trying to explain how this works to explain it properly. So we don't, we lessen the risk of these maybe individuals or community members to have fear. I want to take the fear element out. So uh, the biggest so there's challenge a fear is... element with 
the existing community. Absolutely. The, the cities um, that actually need this see this as a real benefit for the situation that they're going through. The existing community is worried how that's going to affect their property prices, right? Yes. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing, the, the safety of their community, right? Do yes. you think that that's because the services have never been a part of that? These people have you know, never had the opportunity to have, you know, live and work in the same environment, like yeah. never had transportation. Do you think it's because of that? Absolutely. I mean, that's a big, big element of it. Uh, nobody wants to see a bad thing come to their neighborhood. Nobody wants to, to, to look 10 years later and say, oh, my God, I wish this didn't happen. You know, it, it's all not working. Uh, the way we helped them past that point of fear is that we have local maintenance personnel on the property. We have the on-property security that works very closely with the police department and also the fire department. We make sure that health services that are not that far away from us are available. We'll make sure the transportation for anybody that is injured on site to be able to, to have that medical assistance. So the community actually sees something good coming in. And that's what we want to let them see. There's a, there's a park, there's a playground, there's a boys and girls club. So most of their families can come and use these facilities. Wow. And they feel like, oh my God, my house value didn't go down. It actually went up. So already just presenting this project, uh, most of the properties around us value just went up. Wow. And so a lot of people are benefiting from it and we haven't even started. I, I feel like I say, I'm saying, wow, a lot throughout this. <laughs> um, do you, you know, I just had an idea. Maybe you've already thought of it, but do you have like, what if the community wants to come volunteer? Do, do you have that capability? Yes, absolutely. We have a, the volunteer department. We have managers on site, you know, seven days a week, there's somebody there. And so uh, the volunteer departments, anybody that wants to come in to give their time, I mean, all the nonprofits are going to have offices and space there at no cost to them. We're going to continue to do fundraising because fundraising sometimes helps us keep these nonprofits going, but not for the project. Project's not going to have any nonprofit uh, or uh, donations coming in. We're going to raise money, we're going to earn money, and we're going to give it to the nonprofits that already work. The Salvation Army, the Veteran Legal Institute, the Red Cross, uh, the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA, any nonprofit, I mean, uh, Working Wardrobes, all these organizations that we know already about, they have local chapters. They always go out and have activities and they have events to raise money to be able to help people. We want to be one of their supporters. We want to raise money for them. We want to give them money. So, so you'll have these local chapters have a, a place or a, in your community. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, so uh, have you had trouble like um, raising capital for this? Like, No, we, we've been fortunate lately that we haven't started spending the large number of money. And right now we are a little bit more ahead in the, the reports for the development if you want to say the pre-construction soft cost for the development is already 
on its way. So we've had enough money to survive as we're going, but now the value of our project just went up. We're waiting for about November to see uh, if we could get the project approved in the city. If the city sees that the project is good for the city and there's a benefit for the community and they approve it, then what we'll do uh, is we're gonna go to our second level of financing and pretty much an investment, uh, an equity partner, uh, and then traditional uh, banking uh, construction loans. Got we'll, it. You know, it's just, it's a very well structured, we're prepared for it, we have it all, we have the understanding. You have it all planned how to get out. We and have you have a city out. that you're working with now, but then you have another city that's actually heard yes. about this and it might even go faster than the other Absolutely. ones. And then you have these seven adjacent cities that are. Yes, yeah. they're all waiting for us to come in. We're looking for the properties, we're negotiating. Uh, we're really close on a couple. Um, we will definitely share with you as we're going forward on these properties. And we're hoping that it's it makes a big dent into these communities. So everybody else uh, would love to have something like this in their backyard. Yeah, this is kick-ass, Nick. This is really the Thank way you. it should be. So who are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> What was little Nick like? How did you get to this particular point? Like what drives you? Uh, I love people and I love to be always surrounded with friends and family and, and I, I love it. And I hate seeing somebody hurting or, uh, facing challenges. So I, ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to help people. I mean, with homework, uh, you know, little things that don't cost me anything. My time doesn't cost me anything. So when you could help somebody, when you have something, uh, to give, uh, and you could see an improvement in somebody's life. Uh, it's a blessing. It makes me happy. So that that's really who I am. Uh, I don't care much. I have what I want, and I'm I'm pretty content with with what I have. And from now on, anything I do, I uh, I want to make sure that other people see that. You know, passing it forward. Uh, that movie uh, I saw a while back. It's yeah, amazing. paying it forward. Yeah, paying it forward. So you do something good to somebody. Somebody sees it. That's good. They do something else for somebody else. Pretty much before you know it, everybody's doing well. I mean, was why that a not? lesson that you learned early in life? Oh, absolutely. I've I've had some people turn me down. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know. Uh, I'm still friends with everybody. I, I rarely get in an upset or in a fight with anybody because I don't think it's necessary. You know, uh, we're here for a short time. We might as well enjoy it. And I have fun. I have a lot of fun. What What do you do to have fun? What are, What are your passions oh, outside of work? Huh? <laughs> I'm uh, the master of a lot of stuff, but you know, nah. Uh, I don't know. What I, do you master like, at? What do you like to do? <laughs> I claim to be the best golfer ever, but I'm <laughs> are you really good? I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> you're not at all. I just learned a few years ago, but I enjoy the game so much because you're with a lot of friends out there. So I golf, I play tennis. Uh, I love socializing and network and I belong to a lot of veteran organizations. So we're always uh, meeting and discussing and, and, and talking about things to do. Uh, I tutor a lot. Uh, if anybody comes to me and they're, uh, you know, sometimes uh, adults just didn't have the opportunity to finish high school. I help them get their GEDs. Uh, 
sometimes high school kids need a little direction. So I do that on the side. I volunteer uh, with uh, some organizations in the city to do actual work. So I clean uh, backyards, landscaping. I sometimes bring in a crew. We do just minor touch-ups on the facade of the house because the neighbors complain. I work with the code enforcers of the city. Uh, and, and we have, it's all free. We don't charge any money for it. Um, I sit on the, my parish board uh, at church and a lot of other organizations. How do you have time for all of this? I plan properly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and what yeah. do you do just to relax? I love to have a cigar and a scotch in the evening sometimes or some wine. So that, that's that's so that's, nice. <laughs> you know what? I love cigars and scotch too. What's your favorite scotch? I am really a Johnny Walker blended scotch kind of guy. You <laughs> are. Yeah, black or blue, one of those two, you know. Yeah. Um, one with ice, one without. Okay. So you like it neat, and you like it on the rocks. I'm a boring wine drinker because I only <laughs> like two kinds of wines. Uh that both Cabernets, either a Silver Oak or a uh, Robert Mondavi oh, aged yep. in barrels, uh, bourbon barrels. Those are my two. I'm, I'm boring. People always offer me other brands and I'm like, oh, no, I'll have a scotch. Stick with what you like. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> stick with what you like. So you like you like the smooth scotch. Yes. You yeah. like smooth. So I am a peaty, huh? smoky scotch lover. You know, Ardbeg, Laphroaig. Nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have smoked cigars. I do like them. I can't remember what I like. What's your favorite cigar? I have a few brands that I bring with me when I'm traveling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so fun. I know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. So you plan a lot. Well, you help a lot, but you plan yeah. a lot so that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my kids, I mean, my daughter is starting college this fall. And I told her she can go to any university or college she wants anywhere in the world. But if she doesn't go to these two universities locally, close to the house, I'm going to be her roommate. And so <laughs> she's going local. <laughs> she's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and my, my son uh, is starting his junior year in high school. He's on the football team. He's doing well. That's uh, awesome. Great, great children. What does and, he play? Uh, what position does he play? He's a uh, O-line. Uh, offensive line and defensive line yeah he, he's he both was last offensive year he and center. defensive nice yeah he played center last year so yeah their season uh, as a matter of fact tomorrow friday at 7 p.m they have a game and i'm gonna be there that's awesome that's yeah. kick-ass and so, my wife is lovely she cooks for me a lot that's why does I'm she little, 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 yeah and what does she cook what's your favorite meal oh my god uh everything uh, <laughs> yesterday she made me the best chicken I know it was a really nice, uh, creamy chicken with uh, all kinds of herbs and spices mm. and vegetables on a bed of rice. I love that stuff. That sounds so delicious. She's the expert. She takes care of us. That's know. awesome. And does she ever smoke cigars and drink whiskey with you? No. I mean, drink scotch with you? No. She'll, yeah. Well, she'll have some scotch once in a while or wine, but not a big drinker. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Maybe a glass or two a week. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future look like for Vindeval? And what do you think this vision that you're, 
you know, putting this disruption into like this innovation, what does that look like in the future? Uh, I'd like it to be a legacy that I leave behind and for everybody to follow. Um, you know, my biggest uh, person I look up to so much, I never met, but I, I read so much uh, is Danny Thomas from, uh, you know, St. Jude founder. Uh, I think what he did and how, what St. Uh, Jude does until today, the hospital and all the work that they do is just uh, breathtaking. I don't, even imagine I'll ever be as big as they are. They're doing wonderfully. You mean the Shriners? Uh, Is it the Shriners? No, St. Jude Jude. uh, Children's Cancer. Right, okay. And uh, if you read his story, how he started and what he did to get this going, uh, it's amazing. And if I could do less than 1% of what he's doing, it would be amazing. Um, But I see Vandeville to be... A, uh, a blessing for the community, a, a positive thing for the community and for humanity. And it's an example uh, of what uh, future projects should look like. Uh, and I know we could do it. And I want Vendeville to uh, grow and to assist other people to grow. That's great. All right, well, I'm, I'm behind you 150%, Nick. Thank you so much. Yes. Appreciate it. So where can people get a hold of you? The easiest thing is on our website, uh, vendevalcorp.com. How do we spell it? V like in Victor, E, N like in November, D like in David, A, uh, (laughs) V-A-L, Victor Alpha Lima, C-O-R-P, corp.com. So it's vendevalcorp.com. That's the easiest way. Follow us on Instagram at Vendeval Corp, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and and we'll try to. Uh, we know we know some uh, PR people that help us out to put some stories out once in a while. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, look at you know look at the media stories about what you guys are doing and accomplishing, and that you're definitely getting a lot of traction on that. People are interested. Yes. Um, and so they can go to Vindeval, uh, the website, and then contact you for more Absolutely. information. Uh, on the site, we have some uh, information, but if they want to contact us, they could send emails uh, through the contact uh, on the website, and it comes to the office. We'll take a look at it. We'll help anybody that needs any help immediately. So you, people, anybody could contact you, volunteers, Absolutely. construction companies, engineers, architects, municipalities, anybody. Yes, we've people that need help. Have, yes, we've already have a huge amount. We have our lists. We're building them. Uh, like I told you, a lot of contractors and suppliers and vendors and, and architects. And we have a list. And so as they contact us, we add them to our uh, lists and we reach out anytime we need somebody in that field. Fantastic. So it's vindavalcorp.com. It's V-E-N-D-A-V-A-L-C-O-R-P.com. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Yes. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Did a better job than me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yes, thank you. So that's it, everybody. Tell somebody about this podcast today. If they want to go disrupt their markets, give them a tidbit from the show. If you laughed, 
Definitely tell them about it. And thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption Podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.